What is it you think that made the difference in that young woman? The difference was Jesus. Someone took the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and spoke it to her. We partner with City on a Hill. In fact, we have sent numerous teams of people to the inner city of Milwaukee to work with City on a Hill to help them with various outreaches, and they have taught us so much about how to do ministry, even right here at Silver Creek. And we're so grateful for people like Diane. Um, many of you have seen Diane or have met Diane in the past. Uh, she's previously been the executive director, but Diane is actually stepping back and beginning the process of retirement. And new people are stepping up into her place, and there are great things that are happening. And we love partnering with City on a Hill. And this is part of what we believe God has called us to. We want to be that church, the church that is a kingdom builder's church, a church that will build the kingdom of God. You see, there are two kingdoms in this world but there are, there's only one choice. You might say, well, man, there's over 190 nations in the world, but there's only two kingdoms. Only two kingdoms. And I want you to understand that when it comes to worldly kingdoms or nations, those things can change within a matter of moments. We've witnessed it the past few days that the nation of Afghanistan has fallen within 10 days of our departure from that country. 10 days. Those kingdoms can change very quickly. But when we talk about kingdoms today, what I'm talking about is the kingdom of God. God's authority, God's reign on this earth. Three times in the Gospel of John, Jesus referred to Satan as the prince of this world. And the prince of this world has been given temporary authority to have a kingdom here on earth. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, we read, Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus is announcing the arrival of his kingdom to this earth. But his kingdom is not of this world. And these two kingdoms that I'm talking about, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God, they are in opposition to each other uh, un, uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a very different way. They're in opposition to each other. And unlike Switzerland, we can't declare that we're neutral. In 1815, Switzerland decided, you know what, we're going to just be neutral from all the wars. You guys can fight it out, but we're just going to stay here. Unlike Switzerland, we cannot declare that we are neutral when it comes to these two kingdoms. And many people want to approach their spiritual lives just like this. And they say, you know, I really, I really don't believe that the devil is real. And I'm really not convinced that God is real. Therefore, I am neutral. You guys fight it out. You guys talk about which one is real, which, which kingdom's going to win. But as for me, I'm just going to say 
that I'm neutral. Therefore, none of this applies to me. Let me tell you something. Just because you don't believe in electricity and your older brother or sister convinces you to grab that fence in the pasture doesn't mean that you're not going to get shocked. We cannot be neutral. You say, you know, I, I just won't make a choice. I won't choose one kingdom or the other. In essence, what you're still doing is rejecting Christ. There are two kingdoms. Neutrality is not an option. So what do we need to do then as people that are a part of a local church? And in this case, it's Silver Creek Church. But there's, there's one, lots of wonderful churches in our community. So it's not about one church. But what do we do? What decisions do we need to make in order to become that church in this community? I don't lead other churches in this community. I only lead this church in this community. And so I pose the question to us, what do we need to do in order to become that church? I asked the same question in our early service today. What do we we need to do and the first thing is this that we need to buy into the vision Jesus shared that vision with us when he said that he came to seek and to save that which was lost Mark chapter 16 and verse 15 he said to them go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation in the book of Acts Jesus said you're going to be my witnesses you're going to take the message of my gospel to Jerusalem, which is where they were at the time, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Have you ever taken a rock and thrown it into a, a crystal clear still pond? You throw it out there as far and as high as you can, and it lands in the water, and you see those concentric circles that come out? That's what Jesus was saying. He's saying... You're going to take the message of my gospel to Jerusalem, to Judea, which was the region around them, to Samaria, which was further out, and the uttermost parts of the world. He said, that's where you're going to take the gospel. You know, we love to quote the Bible, and we should. I believe in quoting the Bible. I, I, love, I love to see people memorize God's word. And one of our favorite scriptures that we like to quote is from Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, where Paul says this, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We do that right before a big test. I can, I can ace this because God's going to give me help. The problem is we didn't study the night before. So it may not happen exactly like that. I know I've been there. I've, I've done that before. Philippians 4.19 is another one that we like to, to quote when there's a little more month left than there is paycheck left. And, and Paul says this, that my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. But before we can really understand what those mean, let's go to the context in verses 14 to 16 in that same chapter Paul says this, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, 
as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving. Specifically, he was talking about the gift that he was collecting from people to take back to Jerusalem to help the believers who were being persecuted by Rome. That's what he was talking about. And he said that the Philippian believers were the only ones to ultimately do that. So then he goes on and he said, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church, okay, let me jump forward to verse 16. For when I was in Thessal, for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Paul was on his missionary journey and they sent money to support him to take the gospel throughout Asia Minor. The Philippian believers supported building the kingdom of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2, Paul writes this, In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Paul's talking about the church in Macedonia, which he planted. And that these people, even though they were impoverished, they welled up in rich generosity to send support. And what they were doing is they were saying, we want to send encouragement, send support. We want to build up the believers in Jerusalem, even though we don't have much. They wanted to build the kingdom of God. Sometimes we can be caught up with what what we feel like we need, and we can say, you know, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can help this person. I don't know if I can send the gospel here because of the needs that I have. The Macedonians were able to see beyond their own need, and even though they were in extreme poverty, they welled up with rich generosity. You see, we're trying to build the kingdom of God, not our own kingdom. And in order to do that, we need to buy in to Jesus' vision of seeking and saving that which is lost. The second thing that we need to do is plant seed. Um, I'm not going to ask, you know, who was around then, but in the early 80s, or well, excuse me, in the later part of the 80s, um, I I was a young man. I was a much younger man. I had hair in the 80s. And I had good hair. It wasn't even like it was not good quality hair, but I had hair. Um, To tell you how far back this was, um, I wore suspenders in the late 80s, okay, on Sundays under my suit. And they they were paisley, okay? And I would match the paisley suspenders with the paisley tie, okay? That's how long ago this was. And and I just, just in case you're wondering, I looked good, okay? I looked good. Had hair, paisley suspenders, paisley tie, it all matched. But I remember in this small farming community where my wife and I lived in the first church that, that we served, um, it was a real wet spring that year. And the farmers were worried. If you know farmers, farmers are checking, uh, the, they're che- always checking the weather. They are always, they're looking at the ground. I mean, farmers, they pick up dirt and they smell it and they look at it, okay? They, they, they'll, they'll pull a, an ear of corn off the stalk and snap it open and just look at it and just observe. Farmers are just, they're, they're, that's the kind of people they are. So they were very worried because it was such a wet spring 
and they're watching uh, the, the weather report and they're waiting to get in the ground. That's what farmers want to do. They want to get in the ground, okay? If you've never met a farmer like that, you need to meet somebody like that because they will blow your mind with how much they love the soil. And so they'll have their tractors ready. They'll have the seed ready. They're just waiting for that, literally that gap in time where they know it's dried up enough so they can get out there and they can get the seed in the ground. And that spring, this farmer said, you know what, it's just too wet. I'm not going to plant. And it wasn't a surprise, or at least it shouldn't have been a surprise to him, when in September, there was no harvest. Because if you don't plant the seed, you'll never have the harvest. And sometimes we're afraid because we're looking at the conditions. And we're afraid to plant the seed because we're not sure. And we don't want to make a mistake. And we don't want to waste the seed. We don't want to waste the time and the effort and the resources. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 4, it says, Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. Have you ever planted grass seed in your yard before? You got the soil all ready. And you get out there, and I don't know what it is, but you know, some people, they like to use a, a fertilizer spreader, or some people use the crank spreader. There's something to me about reaching your hand into a bag of seed and grabbing that seed in your hand and throwing it. There's something about that that makes you feel connected to the process. But if it's a windy day and you throw grass seed into the wind, do you know what happens? It disappears. <laughs> You'll never see it again, and it'll never hit the spot that you want it to hit. And so we look at the conditions before we plant the seeds because we're concerned. I don't want to have to go back to Menards and buy another bag of seed. So we look at those conditions, and the conditions can cause us to be afraid to actually plant because when we release the seed, when the seed goes out from our hand, it's gone. We'll never get it back again. I'm not going to be out there picking up the individual seeds, okay? If they don't go in the right place, they're just gone. And we become afraid because we look at the conditions around us. We look at the situation of our own life and we think, you know what? I, really, I don't have enough in my life, enough resource to even get the seed. And we become afraid but I want you to know that if we fail to plant, there will be no harvest. When it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to the mission of Jesus, if we do not plant the gospel at home and around the world, it will not bring forth a harvest. We will have no harvest. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 36, how foolish, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So when we let it go out of our hands and it goes out into whether it's our own community or whether it's around the world, when we release it, it has has to die first. In the spring of the year, one of the things that I don't like about being in Marquette is the oak trees. And those acorns that have been under the snow, if you don't rake them fast enough in the spring, they already start digging roots into the ground. And so you have to 
pick every acorn that's already started because you rake it and you're like, what's wrong with that acorn? I can't get it. It's already started to sprout. It's already started. Why? Because it was planted, it fell, it cracked open, it died, and now it's beginning to ultimately grow. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1 says, Cast your bread, also means seed, cast your seed upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. That verse is about Egypt. When Israel was in Egypt, And Israel uh, would plant in the spring, but in the spring, the Nile River would overflow its banks, and their farm fields would be filled with water. But, okay, it's planting day. What are we going to do? They would literally spread their seed on the surface of the water, and in the coming days, the water level would go down, the seed would come in contact with the soil, and it would germinate, and three months later, they would have a harvest. But they needed to have faith that it was going to happen, because who believes that you're going to plant seed in water and make a harvest? You need the soil, but the soil was invisible. It was covered up by the water. So they had to do that in faith. We need to share the gospel with others. Sometimes we think, you know what? I could share the gospel with somebody. I could tell someone about Jesus, but, but they're, you know, they're, they're not going to believe me anyway. So why, why do it? We have a a, a missionary, you say, well, maybe I should support this missionary. And you think, well, I don't think I have enough. Whatever we have, we need to say, you know what? I'm going to cast it out and have faith, and I'm going to believe. I'm going to sow generously that I might also reap generously. In order to build the kingdom of God, we must plant the seeds of the gospel, not only right here in Marquette, not only right here uh, on Silver Creek Road, not only at the university, not only throughout our community, but literally Milwaukee and around the world, we need to plant the seeds of the gospel. Thirdly, we need to serve in the trenches. I don't mean that in a, I'm not using that as a military term necessarily, but Jesus gave up all to serve in the trenches of humanity. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, Paul says this, that speaking of Jesus, that he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, a lot of you here, you have, you have kids. You know, anybody, anybody uh, if, if you were God and you were sending your child to the earth, where would you have your child born? What situation would you have your child come into? I don't know, but I think I'd be all right with a hospital, you know? God sent Jesus and he was born in a barn. Jesus came into the trenches of humanity. He became... God in the flesh to walk alongside us so that he could provide a ransom for my life and for your life. In Luke 22, verse 37, it says, Jesus said, but I am among you as one who serves. In the garden, what did Jesus pray in the garden? He said, not my will, but yours be done. 
Jesus said, I, I don't want to die. Let this cup pass from me, but not, not my will, but yours be done. He's the greatest example, and he left heaven in order to serve. In John 13, 15, Jesus said, I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. So you and I, we're called to serve. We're called to get down into the trenches of humanity and serve others. And you know what? Some of you know what those trenches are like because of the places that you work and the places that you go on a regular basis. God has called us to get into those trenches and to serve humanity. This last week, I didn't think about this earlier, but we had a chance to talk to a guy that was homeless. And so my staff is gathered around him, giving him information and helping him. And we said, you know what? Once you get settled in, a, in an apartment, once you have that apartment secured, you come back and through our thrift store, we'll be able to give you whatever you need to get, to get by, just to be able to live. Jesus calls us to serve. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 7, he says, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Sometimes we get our eyes on people and we, we look at them and we think, man, this, this is a lot of work to serve people. Paul said, don't even look at that. Look, look at it as if you are serving God himself, not the individual. And it's so, it's so, there's so much more joy when we look at it. And there's joy in serving people and knowing it. Sue, when we, when we stood in line and we handed out backpacks that morning, hundreds of backpacks were given out that day with school supplies. Was that fun? It was a lot of fun. There was joy. But Paul said, you know what? You need to look at it as literally serving the Lord, building his kingdom rather than ours, because that's what he's called us to do. Some people will say, you know, I, I really don't have many abilities. I don't, man, I can't, I, I certainly, I can't play percussion stuff the way EJ did today and sing, you know. I don't, you know, I can't play the piano the way Marie does or, or sing like Nikki does. I can't, you know, I, I, can't, I can't teach, I can't preach. You know, I, I just don't feel like I have those gifts. But God has given you gifts. He's given you abilities. He's given you resources to be able to use. You might say, I don't have enough time. I talked about this a few weeks ago. If, if you say you don't have time, God is going to challenge you in the area of time. And that's what he's going to call you ultimately to do. And I, I feel like he is doing that for each of us. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have uh, received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. We need to follow Jesus into the trenches to serve. Let's be that church that follows Jesus into the trenches. Let's follow him. That's point number four. Let's follow the leader. You know, Satan is doing a good job of leading did you know that? Satan is leading our world, Revelation 12, 9 says, astray. We see evidence of it all over the place. All you've got to do is watch the news. All you've got to do is listen to what people are saying. Literally, our world is being led astray. 
But there's another leader that we need to consider. David in Psalm 23, he said, the Lord is my shepherd. It's probably one of the most popular uh, scriptures of, of the entire Bible. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And what does David say? He said that the Lord leads me beside quiet waters. He guides me along. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. Jesus is a leader. In Revelation 19, the Bible says that Jesus on a white horse will lead the armies of heaven in the battle of Armageddon here on earth to defend Israel. Jesus is a leader. And he bids us to follow him. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, he said, Come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. People often say, I am not a leader. I am not, I just, I, you know what? Let me do stuff behind the scenes. I'm just not a leader. But I want you to understand that I believe that Jesus is calling us all to lead. And leadership is not for the few, but for the many. Let me ask you a question. You might, are you a stay-at-home mom? You're a leader. You are, in fact, you're an incredibly important leader. Are you a student? You're a leader. Are you a single dad? You're a leader. Are you a teacher or a contractor or a child care worker? You are a leader. You lead. Are you a secretary or a doctor or a nurse? You're a leader. Even if you're only leading one person, you are a leader. Imagine if every follower of Christ in the world saw themselves as a leader and began to lead others and build the kingdom of God. Imagine what would happen in our world. So in order for us to be that church, and we've talked about this, how in our community, people talk about everything. If something happens in this community, everybody finds out about it. I love the, I love the website and the Facebook page, um, Word on the Street. I love that. If I'm scrolling and I see that, I open that up. I want to know. I'm nosy. This is my town. Right? Are you with me? Anybody else like that? This is still a small town. We, you know, people are going to find out stuff. We talk about that. People are going to talk about their church. We want to be that church. What do you mean that church? That church that builds the kingdom of God. That church that buys into the vision, that plants the seed at home and around the world. That church that serves in the trenches, that follows our leader, Jesus Christ, to accomplish his mission in our world today. I believe that's the kind of church that we are called to be. And people will say, oh, you go to that church. I believe that's what God wants us to be. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you for the chance that we've had today to worship together. I thank you that we've been able to celebrate the Lord's Supper together and remember 
what Jesus has done for us. Father, I pray today that we would decide that we're going to be kingdom builders. That we're going to buy into that vision. That we're going to plant the seed. That we are going to serve in the trenches. That we're going to follow Jesus into this kingdom building life. Lord, I pray that you would really shape and affect and impact us as followers of Christ that we might take the gospel into our community and around the world. Just before we go this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe this morning is the first time you've really heard some of the things that you've heard today, the first time that you've ever heard that Jesus died for your sin. And you say, you know what? For the first time, I I realize my need of God. I realize my need of forgiveness. And I realize that that can only come through Jesus Christ and what he did for me on the cross. And if you'd like to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior today, I'd like to pray for you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, just slip your hand up so that I can see it and I'll just pray for you. I won't embarrass you. I won't point you out. We'll just close in prayer, but I'll know that I can be praying for you. Yes, yes, yes. Numerous hands. Thank you. Let's pray, shall we? Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are still speaking to hearts right now. Lord, that you are still calling us. And I thank you that you are still forgiving. Lord, I pray right now that we would call out on you. I'm just going to invite us to do something all together, to just pray a prayer together for the sake of those who God is working in their hearts. Would you just repeat after me? Dear Jesus, I need you. I realize that you're calling me. And my answer is yes. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. I want to serve you with my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.